Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 254 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and thank you for joining us. This is the worst part of the season. Uh, yeah, this is a tough time to be a Mets fan. It's not a lot of fun to watch the team. They're hurt beyond belief. They're not pitching very well, but we're still here for you. So first up, Chris McShane and I talk about, well, some Mets stuff, and we kind of, you know, go off on tangents. But the message you can take from this is that your emails will help focus us. So send us some emails, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Well, Chris, there's not all that much to talk about with the Mets right now. The team is uh, currently losing to the uh, Cubs for the second straight night. And uh, things are just kind of status quo sad right now. They're not, like, terribly depressing, uh, mainly because everyone's already hurt. So, right. you know, you can't really get too many more injuries. And, uh, you know, the people you expect to be bad are bad. The people you expect to be good are okay. And the people you hope are getting better sort of are. Yeah. That about sums it up. I guess. I mean, I, I think... The liberating thing about this season at this point is uh, you don't feel like you have to watch every pitch. Right. Far from it. Uh, it's not exactly the way you want a baseball season to go. It makes 2015 feel like it was a long time ago, <laughs> and it wasn't. Um, but, yeah, it's just sort of there. Yeah, that is uh... – that's a good way to put it. Uh, <laughs> this is some hard-hitting analysis from this podcast. But we do have an email it's from our friend Brad. He said, uh, what is hopeful about the Mets 2018? Unless this team makes a massive overhaul in the offseason, no way they can contend with the present company, right? Additionally, I don't see them dipping into the trade market to acquire the arms they might need to compete. I hate being a Mets fan. Well, Brad, uh, I don't hate being a Mets fan. I'm frustrated by it many times. I, I will say this. I hate that the Wilpons own my team, but I won't say I hate being a Mets fan. Um, but let's talk about this for a second, Chris. Do you think that if this team comes back healthy with the players that are under contract for next year and everybody does essentially what they are supposed to do? I'm not saying, you know, don't expect any gigantic step forwards or any gigantic step backwards. If everybody is just what they're supposed to be next year, can this Mets team compete? Hmm. I mean, if that includes the three starting pitchers who are the most in question, uh, being healthy and, you know, maybe not quite as good as they all were at their best, but, you know, good, good enough that they're above average or better, right? So if we're including them in that hypothetical, yeah. then sure. But th that to me is the biggest difference. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, a, a full season assessment could be something uh, to look forward to. And I, I think people are uh, a little too down on him uh, in general. And being concerned about his legs is fine. Obviously, that's completely legitimate coming off of this season. Uh, it, it's sounding like that's already going to change. Uh, in terms of the off-season routine and the prep and maybe the maintenance throughout the course of a season. Uh, you know, this isn't a guy – I know he's not been healthy 100% of the time as a Met, but it's not a guy who, like, had a 
terrible track record of injuries, you know? So, if he's healthy and doing what he does, which, you know, I thought that the performance was a little bit overlooked this year just because, I don't know, people needed something to complain about. <laughs> um, if he does what he's done since the beginning of the 2015 season and he does it in 140 games, 150 games, whatever it is, um, that's a major boost. Uh, you know, if we're assuming everybody's healthy, Conforto uh, could do it. A, a completely healthy Juan Ligaris over the course of a season could at least play all the games and play great defense in center, you know, even if he's not a good hitter. Um, it's It's conceivable... But I think you'd need I, – I think there's still too many question marks. If you literally just left the team alone and got the best-case scenario out of everyone, <clears throat> I'm not sure that that's a team that contends. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, it's like any team I feel like you can go into an offseason and say, if everything – literally every single thing breaks right – then sure, this team's going to the playoffs. But I, I don't, you know, they might be able to contend with something less than a major overhaul or massive overhaul, to uh, to quote the email yeah. correctly. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think, you know, again, this is, this is the problem the Mets are going to find themselves in for the next few years. If Syndergaard and DeGrom are healthy... That goes a long way. I don't think we can expect too much out of Harvey. I don't think we can expect too much out of Mats or Gazelman or Lugo. I think all those guys are going to be, or Wheeler, those guys are all going to be rolls of the dice. I think if you can build the team around the two really good young starting pitchers in Syndergaard and DeGrom, and you hope that Cespedes comes back strong, Conforto comes back strong, and Rosario begins, uh, you know, continues to progress at the at the speed we hope he progresses at. I think then, like you said, a couple little tweaks here and there, some bullpen arms, a uh, third baseman of some sort, uh, probably a second baseman of some sort, maybe a, uh, I know they said they're not going to upgrade a catcher, so I'm, I'm not going to bring that up, An, uh, another veteran pitcher or two. I think that... Uh, I think there's a chance that the Mets could compete. But you have to also, like, it's it, this isn't a vacuum, right? You have to think that the Braves will be better next year, the Marlins will be better next year, the Phillies will be better next year. The Nationals may not be better next year, but the Nationals aren't going to be too far back from where they were this year. So even if the Mets are marginally better next year, that presupposes... Their success is presupposed upon a number of things. So... um I would think the Mets need another bat or two and another arm or two before they're in the conversation. The scary part is I don't know if they're going to get those pieces. Right. It shouldn't be that hard. Like with what they with what the budget should be and what they already have, if this was even a regularly run medium market team, the Mets wouldn't I wouldn't be worried. If this yeah. was what the Giants needed, or what the Mariners needed, or what the Rangers needed, I think that would be a totally reasonable offseason list for those teams. Yeah. How sad is that? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, pretty sad. Yeah. It's, uh, man. I just don't know. Um, I guess a logical place to go here, since we're not going to spend time worrying about off-season acquisitions just yet, because we have all off-season to do that. Um, you know, last week we briefly touched on David Wright's rotator cuff surgery, um, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I want to get you guys. I, I know that they, that you love David Wright like God loves the poor, so you know this is a uh, this is touchy for you, but. What do you think the best case right scenario for next season is? And not he goes back totally healthy, plays 162 games, hits a thousand home runs. Like, what do you think? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, with the way the baseball is right now, he could probably hit 30. Probably yes. Um, but you know, what, what do you think would be a a a hopeful but reasonable expectation for David Wright? Um, let's see. Above average hitter, um, you know, by the the metrics that are standard for that, uh, whether you prefer OPS plus or weighted runs created plus, one of those. Uh, Above average hitter, let's say half a season's worth of games. Um, And, and, you know, maybe maybe that's not – like if you're you're saying best case scenario – that's not something that would inc- involve like a, a month or two on the DL or whatever, but just sort of a, you know, two or three starts a week kind of thing, uh, hitting the way that he's shown he's still capable of one healthy. Now, granted it's, it's been a little while since he's been out and, and performing at that level. Um, but yeah, if, if he does get out there and he is able to play, then I think that's, that's pretty much, you know, if you can get 300 plate appearances of above average hitting, um, that is probably the best case scenario. And, and you know, he was hitting home runs at a decent clip uh, before the ball was juiced. Yeah. Or, you know, no, totally not juiced, but but it is. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was looking at the Mets 2018 schedule yesterday, and I want to say there's something like... It's close to 10 games being played in an American League park next year for the Mets. Right. So you figure if if Wright is your DH when you play American League games, if Wright is your first baseman against left-handers next year, I'm trying to find ways to get him into games that won't break his back, right? And mm-hmm. then he starts one or two games a week at third base. Does that sound like a plan to you? Yeah. Yeah, that's good enough for me. I mean... That... If we get... If they get anything, it would be great. Um, you know, so if you're, if you're getting that combination of things, it, it, would, it would be a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, I... Uh, you know... I don't think that there's any hmm, how can I phrase this? You're never gonna see two thousand six David Wright again. Even if he went to an American League team and was just the DH. 
I don't think you get offensively 2006 right ever again. But I think a 270 hitter with 18 or 20 home runs is a very valuable piece for a major league team. Yeah. Of course, if he had a position to play that wasn't going to directly contribute to his back falling off, that would be a nice thing, too. (laughs) But, you know, we can't win them all, I guess. Um, And I guess the last thing I want to talk about, which is sort of goes right in line with right, is what, what would you say are the chances that Jose Reyes is a Met next year? Is it 100% or just 99%? <laughs> I mean, of those two options, I guess I'll go um, I guess I'll go 99 only because I forget who it was. Or it might have been more than one reporter who had it um, sometime within the last week or so. I uh, had something from Reyes saying how he wanted to be back. And then uh, I forget if it was you know, a quote or just a line. Uh, summing up something from a you know a source with the team said such and such, uh, but, but whatever it was, it was you know some indication from the team that like uh, well we're not so sure about that you know. I feel so I know, like I, I know it feels inevitable. <laughs> yeah, but I'll just if I'm choosing between 100 and 99, I'll say 99 just because of that. Okay. Um, okay. But he's gotten hot lately, and if he you know romanticize his past tenure with the Mets and want to buy into what he does late in this season um, I could totally see him being back on that roster uh, somebody in the Amazing Avenue Slack proposed an interesting thought experiment that I haven't done yet which was to go back and look at Mets the, the official Mets Twitter handle and see if it just feels this way or if they've tweeted more about Reyes than any other player this year Because I have to say, it does kind of feel that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, And man, there there was a website. So there's the Twitter advanced search is legitimately a good search. Um, And I'm forgetting. This is how quickly things can change, right? I'm forgetting the name of the site. Uh, that was out there. That was essentially that. I think Twitter bought it and probably incorporated it as technology. Oh yes, I know what you mean. I can't think of the name of it, but I know exactly the site you mean. Yeah, it was a really cool site that was like a, like they had mastered searching social media and uh, Twitter primarily, but you know others. It is so hard to search Twitter when you don't know who tweeted something. Right. So that I forget the name of what the site was, but it was it was good. So if you're going to take a dive into that, now granted you're looking at tweets from at Mets, but there are a lot of those, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and whatever that tool was would have been very useful in this endeavor. <laughs> yeah. But it does seem like there is this still very potent, borderline unhealthy obsession with Reyes from the Mets. And, yeah. you know, if whispers are to, to be believed, it's Jeff Wilpon that is the one who really wants him back. And, uh, you know, I I understand the nostalgic appeal. You know, somebody else on Twitter had joked last week that, you know, 
in 10 years, Reyes will be going for the all-time Mets appearance record. And, uh, you know, that'll bring in a lot of money as uh, for the ownership team. But I just, I don't, I don't think there's anything that Reyes is doing right now that any combination of other players the Mets already have under contract for next to nothing can, can't do. Right. Yeah. Nothing at all. It's amazing to me that we are sitting here in 2017, both still talking about Wright and Reyes, and also trying to find a way to get rid of Jose Reyes. <laughs> if, if you had told like 2004, 2005 Brian this, I would never believe you. Yeah. <laughs> ah, there's so many variables there that, that you wouldn't have predicted. Right, exactly. Well, degenerative back condition for Wright. Um uh, spousal abuse for Reyes. Right. The whole Madoff thing and Yeah. You know, not not that they were necessarily ever on a trajectory to spend like the Yankees have and like the Dodgers have uh, you know, in the more recent decade. I don't know. Omar uh, spent like that, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean there there was all of that you would not have seen coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this isn't Mets related, but it is really cool. How great is the Indians winning streak right now? Uh, it is pretty great. This is once in a lifetime folks. Yeah. I know we saw a similar one in 2002, but statistically this will never happen again in our lifetimes. Yeah. I mean, unless, I don't know. I, I, yeah. Yeah, fine. I'll go with that. <laughs> I don't have. I was like, uh, no, I'm not going to dream up another scenario. I mean, you're, you're forgetting. You're forgetting when the Mets start the 2018 season 30 and 0, Brian. No, that's that, that's my point. That is true. How foolish of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, what's what's the longest Mets winning streak you you remember? Uh longest one I remember. Would would be the eleven from early in twenty fifteen. I was going to say that like April and May eleven game winning streak. I think that's the longest I remember too. Oh, that was that was fun. Like a bunch of us um, do a bar crawl every year, and I remember being on that. And that was like that game that was happening on the TVs around here as we were doing it was uh, I think it was win number eight of that winning streak. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun. Like you know, they to have that happen that early in the season and to be out and feeling pretty good all day. That <laughs> that was uh, that was nice. So that that one stands out. And then I don't know. I'd have to look at what the actual streak was. And this probably isn't exactly the answer to the question. Um, but when they had that West Coast trip in two thousand six, was it they? I think they won nine out of ten. Yeah. Something like that where, you know, it wasn't a 9 or a 10 game winning streak, but it it was as close as you can get to that yeah. uh with with without it being one and it was just awesome. Um So yeah, any other ones that stand the, out to you? That that 11 game one is the one that stood out to me because that was that was the first baseball season that my daughter was somewhat aware of what the Mets 
what, what it meant to be a baseball fan. And every morning she'd wake up and say, did the Mets win? And I'd say, yes, they did. And she would like be, she would do a little dance, be very happy. And yeah. uh, that was, that was super fun. And then the Mets broke her spirit. I still haven't told her they traded Curtis Granderson. She'll be too upset. <laughs> she went into like a legitimate crying jag, throwing herself on the floor when they traded Duda. So, yeah, you know, and she, I think she likes Granderson even more. So. I, in, in theory, I wanted to do that. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> I was probably just doing something that required adult responsibility and, uh, and, and couldn't let myself go into that mode. Right. Um, how about Lucas Duda though, man? He's he's being Lucas Duda. Yeah, what a surprise! Curtis Granderson, not so much being Curtis Granderson. Yeah, eh, eh. he'll be all right. He's he'll be fine. I'm not worried. <laughs> you know. Uh, by the way, people of Los Angeles, because I know you're all listening. Since you you know you can't watch your team on TV, you probably tune into every podcast in the country. Yep. Uh, leave tracks. Curtis alone. Leave him alone. It seems like the hate that was uh, bestowed upon him by Mets fans this year had just been traded along with him to Dodgers fans. You know, Andy McCullough early on in the Dodgers almost month long skid now Mm -hmm. um, referenced the old tweet from uh, yesteryear about the expected and then return of. Beltron and Castillo, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he made he, he referenced that admitted about Granderson, and you know clearly people were getting on him early. Yeah, leave him alone. That's my that's my my point here. Yeah, and you know what, Granderson's a bit of a streaky player, so he could get very hot today, and right. do very good things for your team tomorrow. Oh yeah. And you gave up nothing for him. Well, let, let's hope Jacob Ram was, you know, is something. Yeah, but I mean, in in, in terms of, you know, oh, the I, Dodgers can buy another Jacob Ram. Exactly. Like that's, yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. You know, yeah. <laughs> there was no risk in them trading for Granderson. Right. Like, oh, even if he turns out to be great, oh, great reliever, sure. Uh, let's buy three of those. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, leave Curtis alone. That's a good. That's a good message for us tonight. And uh, <laughs> I just want to say one thing more about the winning streak, which is I know someone's going to get on our case about it, saying that winning streaks don't matter, and that you know it's more important to win a lot of games over the course of a season than win X amount in a row. I understand that. I agree with that. But this is cool. I don't know why people have to be so mad about cool things. This is uh this is a lot of fun to see. You're literally seeing history. You're seeing. A very, very long winning streak by a team that hasn't won a World Series since probably one of your parents was born, listeners. We should be celebrating this. It's a legitimately good thing that in my adult lifetime, I have seen the Red Sox, the White Sox, and the Cubs erase incredibly long postseason droughts slash uh, championship droughts. That is legitimately a good thing for the sport of baseball. It's a good thing as a Mets fan because you don't want to be the... like. Could there be anything worse than having the White Sox or Indians beat the Mets in the World Series? 
and hearing if they hadn't won yet and hearing not only the Mets are losing, but hearing like the glorious nature of the Mets losing because of it being this historic event. Like this is, yeah. you want these teams to, to win when the Mets aren't in the playoffs. Yeah, that's uh that's a fair point. I will say I've had enough of the Cubs and their fans oh, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hope they never win again. But yeah. you know <laughs> they got their one. I'm happy they got their one. Right. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine once asked the rhetorical question, which is how many meals a day in Chicago are charged on a uh Cubs branded credit card in Hooters in Illinois? Huh. And the answer is essentially infinite. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I, I just think it's cool. I hope the Indians do well. I hope they get rid of that damn logo. Maybe even yeah. change their name, but that's asking a lot, I recognize. And uh, yeah. I guess maybe next week or the week after, we'll, we'll do an official uh, We Pick Our Horse for the playoffs. Yeah. Thing. We're trying, folks. <laughs> the emails can be about whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we might rule out, you know, one or two things here or there, but uh, we're here. Yeah, yeah. I just showed so my if, do- if- I, I just showed my daughter the Star Wars movies. We can talk about that for a bit next week if you want to email us about that. I'm trying to find something. <laughs> Anything I'm <Yeah>. doing here. <laughs> You're right. Chris and I both play bass in bands. We can talk about playing bass. Yeah. We can talk about that. We can talk about um, <clears throat> Star Wars. I don't want to encroach too much on Jason Fry's turf, but, you know. Yeah. I'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can... Uh, See, yeah, I don't want to give away any potential agenda items. You come up with some. Email them to us. Yeah, email them to us. Uh, I, I will say also, I know this is sort of Ted Berg's shtick, but we'll talk about food, too. Yeah. Beer. We like beer. Yeah. We like music. We like... Uh... I'm sure Chris has lots of thoughts about the primary election that happened last night. Uh, yeah, but we're not going to get into politics on the podcast. <laughs> I, like was to, I was trying to like, trick like you. Like we don't on the site, yes. <laughs> I was trying to trick you into some politics. I am listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably that's probably best left alone. But yeah, email us about anything. Yeah, and even if you have questions or comments about uh, coming out to the last game of the regular season. Yes, or the last home game of the regular season. Yeah, uh, who's going to watch that last series? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. <laughs> Let's just pretend it's the end of the season. Get on with it, as uh, as they say. Yeah. Um, Speaking of end of the season, did you see that uh, next season begins on a Thursday in March? Yeah, baseball's stupid. Yeah, and then it ends in, uh, September 30th. It doesn't even go. It, usually there's at least one or two games in October, but no. Starts in March, ends in, ends in September. Yeah, let's hope it ends in November. Amen, brother. Hello, Mets fans. This is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio. 
here to give you an update on the uh, the offense situation uh, for the past week has been not too interesting. Travis Tyrone, uh, as we knew, is not really a guy, although uh, fans of inflated Pacific Coast League numbers can keep hoping. And Ahmed Rosario starting to turn it on a little bit, although he's he's still uh, flailing away. And Dominic Smith, he is still striking out a lot, not hitting for as much power as we like, but three of his seven walks have come in the past week. And until he went 0 for 4 against the Cubs on uh, on Tuesday night, he was on a little bit of a hit streak, a little five-game mini hit streak there that included a double and a home run. So I'd say his, home, his power has been okay. The, the approach is, still needs some, some serious work. But while we're all, all focused on these young guys, on the Rosario and Dominic Smith, who we hope will play a major role on a team that returns the Mets to contention in 2018, there's another guy who might be on the 2018 roster who's really just crushing the ball. His name is Azdrubal Cabrera. He's just been crushing it. He had three hits on Tuesday night. So we're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon and just playing really solid, solid baseball lately. This is a guy that we were sure was going to be traded to the Red Sox back in July. He said he didn't want to move over. There are rumors that he couldn't, that the team, the Mets didn't want him there when Ahmed, Ahmed Rosario was there because they would, their personalities would clash or something. So it's it's really an interesting storyline to see Cabrera hitting the ball so well. In fact, he's got multiple hits and an extra base hit in one, two, three, four, five of his last six games. He has both multiple hits and an extra base hit, the extra base hit being a double. He did homer back on September 4th against the Phillies. But, jeez, he is just whooping the ball. He's always been a decent contact guy. Walks a little bit, a little bit of power. Mets fans are familiar with his Drupal Cabrera. They know what he's capable of. Collins likes batting him second in the batting order. Uh, he could certainly fill that role next year because I don't, I know Rosario is going to play because of his defense and he's got, looks like he's got good power for a middle infielder. Smith, just based on the fact that he looks overmatched a lot of the time, not going to be an above average first baseman next year, I don't think. So that's going to be an interesting situation. They probably need uh, some some sort of right-handed bat to platoon with him. Zubel Cabrera is a switch hitter. Zubel Cabrera, he used to not want to play third base, but now he's willing to play multiple positions, and he's got an $8 million option next year, and the Mets are... We know they're trying to save money because they're probably going to push for Brandon Nimmo in center field, which is another thing that may or may not be a, a good idea. But his dribble career makes a lot of sense for, for 2018. And I didn't think that I'd be saying that at this point in the game, but uh, we know the Mets don't. They're, gonna just, they're just going to cram those round pegs and those square holes defensively, so they're going to find a place for Cabrera to play. Uh, the Mets, Mets you know, still have a pretty... Big hole at, at third base, second base. We're not sure what they're going to do yet. We know shortstop, shortstop, first base catcher. Uh, they're probably going to go with the young guys and the outfields. If they don't sign a free agent, it's going to be Nimmo Lagares in center field with the corners filled by the two superstars that the Mets do have under contract in Conforto and Cespedes. So, with they still have, they still have those question marks on the infield, and that means Cabrera is going to get picked up. Uh, 
just the way he's hitting now, the way he's seemed to turn a corner personality-wise, I don't see why there would be that much doubt about it. It's uh, just a one-year deal. Eight million makes too much sense. It's uh, it's a good deal if he can hit a, just a little like this. Like, like he should be not caring right now and just and just mailing it in. And yet he is just crushing the ball. So. That is your uh, Mets offense report. Keep watching as Drupal Cabrera, even though he's probably one of the more boring players on the team. He doesn't, he's not very fun to watch on the bases or on defense, but good hitter. And he continues to be a good hitter for the Mets as they battle down the stretch here for the Queens faithful. So this has been Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio. dispute to the notion that hitting a home run is one of the toughest, if not the most difficult, feat to achieve in sports. And as we begin a rundown of the top five home runs in New York Mets history, the number five homer was done by a man who took this struggle to a whole new level. During a year of miracles that was 1969, arguably the most unexpected occurrence was saved for last. In Game 5 of the World Series against the Baltimore Orioles, the Mets were looking to finish off a season for the ages, and Al Weiss was hoping to complete a very strong series with the bat. Over the first four games, he had hit 500, reached base 61% of the time, but had yet to homer. That was no surprise, because he had gone deep just six times in his eight-year career, even if his 1969 total matched his personal best of two. In the pair of seasons spent as a Met, he had yet to launch one over the walls of Shea Stadium. But there's a first for everything, and for Weiss, it was perfect timing. Don Clendenin went deep, a two-run homer that brought New York within a run at 3-2 in the sixth. Not too long after Clendenin did what had become expected during the series, Weiss did the unexpected. Leading off the bottom of the seventh, with Orioles starter Dave McNally still protecting the slim lead, Weiss drove one that would have gone out of any ballpark. But the fact that it happened at Shea and helped tie a game that would eventuate into the Mets' World Series triumph makes it even more special. Now to number four, and Lenny Dykstra's homer in Game 3 of the 1986 NLCS against Houston. Clutch postseason performers aren't made so because they step up or rise to the occasion. It's because they aren't affected by the magnitude of the moment. To Lenny Dykstra, every game had the feeling of an October contest. So why was he to change when the Mets got to the 86 playoffs? The man they call Nails, as Bob Murphy put it, provided his first and greatest playoff moment at the expense of Houston Astros reliever Dave Smith. Wally Backman stood at second base as the tying run. The Mets were behind 5-4, to four, two outs away from defeat, the relinquishing of home field advantage, and Mike Scott waiting in the wings for Game 4. When Dykstra connected, thoughts of a 2-1 to series were about to be reversed, and into the right field bullpen it went. The Astros had plans on a 2-1 to series lead of their own, but Dykstra, with 8 home runs for 1986 and an average of about 7 for his 12-year career, had other plans. Now to the number 3 home run, and another walk-off but this one ended a postseason series. Heroic randomness is one of the many reasons that make baseball unique. 
During a late-game situation in basketball or football, a team can go to its top offensive player for a crucial score. Up two games to one on the Arizona Diamondbacks in the 1999 NLDS, the Mets couldn't turn to Mike Piazza, even if they wanted to. After suffering through a season in which he regularly dealt with the occupational hazards that come with being a catcher, Piazza was too beat up to play past Game 2. Little did anyone think the show would be stolen by his understudy. And for those unfamiliar with the Mets, little did anyone know of Todd Pratt, a former Philly, Cub, Mariner, pizza delivery man, and baseball camp instructor. Labeling him as a journeyman would have been generous. When his drive to center field off Arizona reliever Matt Manti in the bottom of the 10th barely cleared both the fence and Steve Finley's outstretched arm, he instantly transformed into the rarefied air of New York postseason folklore. It ended Game 4, ended the series, and sent the Mets into the NLCS against Atlanta. Pratt became living testimony that in this sport, obscurity can become legendary with one swing. Ray Knight was not an unknown by 1986. He had played more than a decade in the majors, and after a rough 1985, he increased his hit total, batting average, and on-base percentage significantly, all leading to the National League Comeback Player of the Year. But the comeback hadn't ended yet. Game 6's incredible rally included his clutch two-out, two-strike hit to score Gary Carter, and ended with his exuberant run from second to home after Mookie Wilson's grounder went under the glove of Bill Buckner. Game 7 might have seemed like a fait accompli, but the Mets had to rally from a 3-0 deficit. And once they tied it, Knight put them ahead in the bottom of the 7th. Calvin Chiraldi, beleaguered in the wake of his failure to close out the Mets in the bottom of the 10th of that 6th game, and unceremoniously serenaded by the crowd, delivered a 2-1 fastball into Knight's wheelhouse. The home run to left center broke the 3-3 tie and gave the Mets a lead they wouldn't relinquish. An 8th inning single put the finishing touches on a series in which he batted 391 and drove in five runs, and earned the most valuable player award. His finest moment as a Met was also pretty much his last. The World Series MVP winner did not get his wish of a multi-year deal, and thus signed with Baltimore during the winter. Instead of receiving his championship ring in person, he got it in the mail. Now to the number one home run in Mets history. Unlike the other four, this didn't occur in a postseason game. But in many respects the game held much more significance. When Mike Piazza was traded to New York from the Florida Marlins in May 1998, the plan was for his addition to accelerate the team's hopes of becoming a World Series contender. Not only did Piazza's presence in the lineup create that change, he became the face of the franchise and arguably the Big Apple's top player. So as the city was suffering its greatest tragedy, Piazza would help the healing process. On September 21, 2001, the stature of the Mets and the Braves meeting at Shea Stadium went well beyond a battle between NL East rivals in the throes of a pennant race. It was the first game in New York City following the events of September 11th, a brief three-hour opportunity for solace and temporary distraction from the horror that had taken place just miles from the ballpark only ten days prior, a conduit to normalcy. The sold-out crowd, understandably subdued, wasn't given much reason to cheer for the majority of the game, as Atlanta held a 2-1 advantage into the bottom of the eighth. As Piazza stepped to the plate with one out and a runner on, 
it was impossible not to conjure up the series of events that could transpire. He had delivered key dramatic late-game home runs on several occasions before. But if there was a time for a real storybook ending, Piazza was the man to write this script. Almost on cue, the 0-1 pitch from Steve Carsey was hammered to deep center. As the ball went over the fence, there was an outpouring of cheers and sheer emotion from fans who didn't know when was the right time to express such emotions over a simple baseball game. Well, now was the right time. The Mets had a 3-2 lead, a lead they would hold through the top of the ninth. New York City, at least on this evening, had something to celebrate. For all of Mike Piazza's 427 career home runs, none ever had more impact than this one. That's all for this list. I'm Brian Wright. You can follow me on Twitter, at BrianWright86. First of all, I would just like to say that there are only like two and a half weeks left of this Mets season, and I'm so excited because I'm so sick of watching this team. And that says a lot more about me than about the Mets that I have actually stuck through with them. But also, I've stuck with them for my entire life, and they have rarely done anything but disappoint me. So here we are. There's still nothing to panic about because none of this matters. You're getting reports that, you know, they're looking at all the bullpen pieces already for 2018. I have no idea if that's true. Not that I doubt the sources, but I don't know how much that matters. I don't know how they're looking at that. I don't know if we're going to get stuck with Hansel Robles' seventh inning guy because they're going to not buy anybody in the offseason. I guess that's the concern is what they think is on this team versus what they actually think they need. And they need some pieces, and I'm not sure they're going to buy those pieces for, well, we all know why they're not going to buy the pieces. They need some relievers. They could seriously do with a center fielder. They need a third baseman. We're going to get Jacob Raymond, Jose Reyes, and some weird Juan Lagares, Brandon Nimmo platoon. And this team's going to probably look a whole lot like it did this year. I think they're going to bring Jay Bruce back. I really do. I have no idea what that looks like. I don't know what Michael Conforto looks like. Noah Syndergaard's rehab keeps getting pushed back. I don't know why they're rushing it. Just let him sit. It's fine. It, there's no point in getting him out onto a mound this season. There's no reason to get him back, and it's already not working, and I think it's probably going to do more harm than good if they force him onto a mound or if he lets them put him on a mound because we all know how stubborn Noah Syndergaard is. I guess that's the word we're looking for. I don't know. It's just they just need to play out the season, hopefully not break any more of their players. Wilmer Flores has been shut down. Stephen Matthews—they're all—they're all gone. Everyone's done and broken, and soon we all will be too. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. We know it's hard during this time of the season, but we like the fact that you're listening to us, and so we're going to keep doing this. Even though the team is, you know, very, very hard to watch, they're still our team, and so other pledges, other pleasantries, etc. 
Uh, as a reminder, we are going out to the last home game of the season, September 27th. Come on out, buy a ticket anywhere in the ballpark. We're going to be hanging out on the field level. Um, we'll give you more details on a post soon. But, you know, just the, the important thing is don't feel like you have to buy a ticket in that area. We're just going to be hanging out in the standing room only section all night. And this should be a good time. Uh, come see the uh, the Mets off in the style. So we, we hope you come out to that. We'd love to meet you guys and have a hot dog or a beer together and just, you know, lament <laughs> and celebrate this uh, this season being over. You can also go to AmazingAvenue.com where you will find a post about that as well as lots of other news, uh, analysis, games, rumors, all sorts of Mets stuff you could ever want is on AmazingAvenue.com. So check that out. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. This show, the one you're listening to right now, can be found at blogtalkradio.com, at Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher. Wherever you find it, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. We do appreciate that quite a bit. And you can follow all the contributors today on Facebook. Facebook. Who goes on Facebook? On Twitter. Uh, at I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Aaron is at Aaron P. York. Brian is at Brian Ray 86 and Kate is at Kate E. Feldman. So next week, we'll be back. We're going to take a sort of bigger look at the minor league season and uh, talk with our friend Steve Saipa about what the minor league season looked like for the Mets this year, which affiliates were great, which players took step, steps forward, all that sort of fun stuff. And so until next time, let's go Mets. <laughs>